As we're considering the gospel in Mark, uh, we have arrived at the passion of Jesus Christ, which is the term for his sufferings. And his sufferings didn't begin on the cross, but it started in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where we were last Sunday morning. So as Jesus and the uh, disciples left the upper room where they celebrated the Last Supper, they descended down into the Kidron Valley where Gethsemane was. And as they descended down physically, uh, a darkness descended uh, upon Jesus Christ. And he was already uh, beginning uh, to have a view of uh, the uh, suffering that he was about to endure uh, by the end of that day. And uh, the suffering was so intense that when he prayed in the garden, uh, he cried, he was prostrate on the ground, and his sweat uh, were drops of blood. And now we are going to look at one of the darkest episodes in the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, I would never choose uh, to preach on the betrayal of Jesus by Judas Iscariot. Uh, but when you're going through a book like this, uh, I know we haven't looked at all of Mark's gospel, but in considering uh, the uh, basics of Christianity, I'm afraid we can't avoid uh, this treacherous act by one of the 12 uh, disciples. Not only is it one of uh, the uh, darkest uh, episodes in the Bible, it is also one of the darkest um, things in human history. So when they were in the upper room uh, having the Passover, uh, that's when Judas left. And Judas didn't go with them to Gethsemane. But now after Jesus has prayed, Judas returns, not on his own, uh, but with a group of armed men. They were soldiers uh, from the temple, the temple guard, and they were probably Roman soldiers with them as well. And they have come to arrest Jesus Christ. Uh, Judas has to give a signal to them because it's dark. So uh, the signal is a kiss. And we know, don't we, uh, that uh, this is synonymous uh, with uh, this most heinous of sins, uh, treachery, uh, to betray somebody with a kiss. So I've just got two things this morning. The first is this, where sin abounds, and my, didn't it abound in the Garden of Gethsemane that night? Uh, even in um, everyday life, uh, we're familiar, aren't we, with the name Judas now. Uh, to call somebody a Judas uh, is an insult. It means that they are a betrayer. Uh, the Judas kiss, uh, somebody uh, sang. Uh, one man betrayed with a kiss. Now, why is Judas's uh, kiss here? Uh, so sinful. Uh, according to Jesus Christ, it would have been better that he hadn't been born. Now, th th that's saying something, isn't it? Uh, when we think of sin, uh, we tend to think, don't we, of the horrible things that are happening in the world outside. 
uh, our society is so confused today. Uh, there is uh, an amorality. No one knows what is right or wrong anymore. And even worse, evil is called good and good evil. Now, you would have thought that it would have been some outrageous thing like that that would have been the darkest sin in the Bible. I, I don't know, something uh, like murder or uh, the murder of a child or something. But instead, we find that it's this spiritual, religious, respectable act that is called the worst sin. Uh, a man who killed his own son, King Manasseh, was forgiven. Judas is in a worst position. Uh, and don't, don't we see this sometimes? Uh, maybe we need to be challenged by the gospel here because our tendency as church people, I don't know where you stand before God, but being here in church means uh, that you are probably respectable like me and we're not guilty of those outward uh, sins that society uh, is guilty of, but maybe it's these respectable heart sins that we need to be on our guard against. Uh, when you look at what Judas did, just outwardly, it doesn't look that bad, does it? Uh, when Jesus in the upper room said, one of you is going to betray me, they never all looked in unison toward Judas. They all said, is it I? And even when Judas left to betray Jesus, none of the other disciples thought that that's what he was going to do. They thought that Jesus had sent him on an errand. And then when Judas comes now with the Roman soldiers, he kisses Jesus Christ and calls him Rabbi, Rabbi. That's a term of affection. There's nothing that looks bad here. And yet, in the words of Jesus Christ, and he knows what he's talking about, this is the worst thing a human being can do. And is, isn't this the clue here? It's not in the outward, it's not on the outside that this worst of sins is seen. It's inside, uh, as the old preachers would have termed them. It's heart sins that we've got to be careful of. That's what Judas was guilty of, heart sins. And what makes it sickly is the fact that he uses a kiss, a symbol of affection, really, to send a man to his death. And when you have people use spirituality to cloak uh, something that is wrong, uh, then that's is going down the path that Judas is going. Let's, let's look then at Judas here, and let's not just look at him uh, in a detached way, but let us ask ourselves the same question as the disciples were asking. Lord, is it I? Lord, search my heart. Is there treachery in my heart? Let me remind you of the words of Jeremiah. Do you know this very famous verse? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Lord, I don't know my hearts. You do. 
You search it. May God search our hearts now as we look at Judas's betrayal. Why is it so, so awful? Judas was a professing believer to begin with. Uh, what's a professing believer? Well, if you are claiming to be a Christian, you are professing to believe in Jesus Christ. I, I actually like the term professing believer because in the end, only God knows your heart and mine. So we profess faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good. It's good. But notice, Judas was still guilty of this heinous sin, even though he professed to be a believer. And just because we are followers of Jesus Christ doesn't make us immune from the worst of sins. We, we rightly have to be concerned about what's happening uh, in our society and the changes in the law. But we need to be aware how our hearts can change as well. And then Judas wasn't just a disciple, was he? He'd been chosen by Christ, not just as one of the 70. Jesus chose 70 disciples to go out to evangelize. He was one of the inner circle. He was one of the 12. Imagine the privileges that Judas Iscariot would have had. He would have heard Jesus' sermons. Wouldn't you have loved hearing Jesus of Nazareth preach? Uh, in this church, we have a long line uh, of uh, powerful preaching. Uh, when um, Mr. Hyam was pastor, he was mightily used of God. What a privilege to belong to such a lineage. Judas Iscariot had an even greater privilege. Three years sitting under the ministry of Jesus Christ. You would have thought that that would have made him safe from this terrible sin. But no, it didn't make him immune. Imagine not just the teaching that Judas heard, but he witnessed the miracles of Jesus Christ. I don't know what it would be like seeing miracles happen. It would strengthen one's faith, wouldn't it? Uh, we sometimes hear, don't we, in some parts of the world of uh, divine interventions, wonderful accounts that inspire us in our Christian life. Imagine being Judas and seeing such things uh, to an even greater extent. And imagine the fellowship that you would have enjoyed with Jesus Christ. We enjoy fellowship with one another. But imagine having fellowship with the Son of God in the flesh. Imagine not just spending uh, two services on a Sunday uh, in fellowship, but having three years of continuous fellowship. What a privilege. And how many of us can enjoy fellowship in conferences? We've been blessed with those. How we long to gather again in that way. Or to have fellowship with Christians from other parts of the world. But that doesn't make us immune. Not only was Judas one of the close circle, Judas was a preacher. Jesus sent Judas with the other disciples to evangelize. And this is what's scary. Judas performed miracles. Judas exorcised demons as the other disciples did. Don't you find that frightening? That even though Judas cast out devils from other people, 
It didn't stop him from having the devil enter into his own hearts. I find that scary. You can be a preacher. You can be used of God. You can have people uh, come in their thousands to know Jesus Christ through your ministry. And you can still be like Judas. What else makes this terrible? Look at the way Jesus treated Judas. Jesus knew what was happening. He was in control. We'll note that in a minute. If you look at verse uh, 18, uh, verse 18 uh, of this chapter, uh, when they were in the upper room, Jesus is warning the disciples, one of you is going to betray me, the one who dips with me in the dish. Judas must have been convicted there. How gracious our Saviour is to warn him of what he's about to do. And then, uh, a little later, uh, when Judas comes with the temple guards to arrest Jesus, uh, I'm putting together the accounts in the other Gospels. What does Jesus call Judas? Do you know what term he uses? Friend. Friend. And then in the Gospel of Luke, he gives Judas one final chance. Judas, friend, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? I believe Jesus Christ is still giving Judas an opportunity to repent, to turn from his sin, and to be delivered from eternal destruction. But Judas goes headlong into darkness. And, of course, the worst thing of all is the kiss. Uh, in some countries, I'm glad it's not the case in the UK, the form of greeting is a kiss, isn't it? I'm much rather a stiff handshake. Not that we can do that these days. But the kiss here is even more than a form of greeting. It was a sign of intimate fellowship, uh, I think the Greek word filio, for brotherly love, is linked to the kiss. So Judas here is greeting Jesus Christ as a spiritual brother in greeting him with a kiss. And the Greek in this chapter is even more intense. It means to kiss affectionately. And this is what makes Judas's betrayal absolutely sickening the most intimate symbol uh, of human love. You, you can't get any more intense than this kiss is used to betray a man, not just to death, but to the death of the cross. Can, can you see the contrast? Th this is what makes it hideous, hideous. And it was prophesied, uh, maybe you're familiar with Psalm 55. Uh, this was looking forward to Jesus Christ, but it was David who was experiencing treachery. But Jesus is David's greater son. This is how he described it. This catches the flavor of what Judas is doing. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Imagine Jesus Christ meditating on these words. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, Judas, a man my equal, 
my companion and mine acquaintance, we took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. And then he puts it like this. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Uh, even as Christians, we know when sometimes somebody says they're going to say something in love, we kind of shirk, don't we? Because we know there's going to be something behind it. But imagine Jesus Christ knowing that Judas hugging him and kissing him affectionately knew that his heart was full of hatred. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Lord, search my heart. Spurgeon, as always, puts his finger on things, doesn't he? And this is a quote. It's a famous quote from Spurgeon. Judas betrayed his master with a kiss. That's how most apostates do it. It is always with a kiss. Did you ever read an infidel book? A book by somebody who doesn't believe the gospel which did not begin with profound respect for the truth. Isn't that interesting? Even modern ones, when bishops write them, always begin like that. They betray the Son of Man with a kiss. Did you ever read a book of bitter controversy, which did not begin with such a sickly lot of humility, such sugar, such butter, such treacle, such everything sweet and soft, that you said, ah, there is sure to be something nasty here. For when people begin to softly and sweetly, so humble and so smoothly depend upon it, they have a rank hatred in their hearts. The most devout-looking people are often the most hypocritical in the world. That's not me, that's Spurgeon. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. But what about us? What about you? What about me? The heart is deceitful above all things. Sin abounding, not just in the world, but even in the church. Things that have been done in the name of Christianity throughout history have been some of the cruelest of things. Think of the Inquisition. It was all done in the name of Jesus Christ. Plays Pascal uh, said, uh, if somebody says they're going to do something to the glory of God, you better watch out because it can justify all sorts of injustices. And some of you may have been in church and seen things done in church even over the decades uh, which you couldn't believe. The heart is deceitful. We do need to be challenged, my friends, even when we're looking at the gospel in Mark. You know, the disciples weren't that good here, were they? They all forsook Jesus in his hour of need. But you may feel a bit like them. I do sometimes. Lord, I've let you down. Lord, I'm so fumbling in my following after you. Lord, I sometimes run away like these disciples. But thank God, they were real. They were real. And if you come to God and say, Lord, search me. Search my heart. You can be real as well 
real. Now, I don't want to dwell on this, but sin abounding. But let's hurry on to my second point, and this is what I do want uh, to dwell on. Paul says, even though sin abounds, praise God, grace superabounds. Don't you love that? Doesn't it seem at times that sin, and I'm not just thinking of the spectacular outward sins, but of the respectable sins, sin is going so fast, you don't know how much worse thing can get. And it seems as if nothing is going to overtake it. But then grace comes. Oh, the grace of Jesus Christ always overtakes sin. Praise God. When we're looking at the worst sin in history, we are also looking at the greatest saviour, the greatest grace in history. Uh, There's um, a poet uh, many centuries ago, Christian poet called George Herbert. Have you read any George Herbert? Beautiful, beautiful verses. He describes Judas here. Jesus says to Judas in this poem, Judas, dost thou betray me with a kiss? Canst thou find hell about my lips? And miss of life just at the gates of life and bliss? Let me repeat those last two lines. And miss of life just at the gates of life and bliss bliss. Uh, One commentator, Judas's kiss drips with horror, for it is a calloused prostitution of one of humanity's most sacred symbols. It was dayside, a god killer. There was hell there. Judas' kiss showed how low a human heart can go. And this is what I'm coming to. Jesus's response shows how high a heart can soar. Sin abounding. The grace of Jesus Christ super abounding. I believe Jesus Christ is even here giving Judas an opportunity. Even as he's about to go to the cross, The gate of life and bliss is still open to Judas Iscariot. And if you feel yourself to be a sinner, uh, maybe you feel these respectable sins weighing you down. Jesus Christ is such a gracious saviour. Another hymn says, oh Jesus, full of grace and truth, more full of grace than I of sin. Wonderful. Jesus' grace is always greater than your sin and mine. And you know what? This is the gospel. What is the gospel in essence? The gospel is paradox. A paradox. You've got sin abounding and then grace overcoming sin. Let, Let me mention the paradoxes here so that we can see this grace of Jesus Christ. The the paradox is the submission of Jesus Christ here. You know, he says, this must happen. The prophecies must be fulfilled. Jesus Christ could have stopped this in an instant. He is the Son of God. He could have called on a legion of angels to come down and wipe those soldiers off the face of the earth. 
but in grace he submitted. What a paradox, what a paradox. We'll be looking at that Christmas time, won't we? Helpless babe on the one hand, God in human flesh on the other, the paradox. And then look at the other paradox here, the miscarriage of justice. We read of miscarriages of justice all the time, but this was the greatest miscarriage of justice ever. No one is truly innocent. Even if a person has been falsely accused of something, he's still a sinner in himself. But this is a miscarriage of justice on an infinite scale because Jesus Christ is the only innocent human being to have walked the face of the earth. He is the gentlest of people. He is without blemish, harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners. He says, doesn't he, to these people, uh, he says, why are you coming in the night? I was with you during the day, teaching in the temple. Why didn't you come then? Oh, my friends, respectable sins always happen in the dark, under a cloak of spirituality. But that's the gospel for you. Undefiled, innocent, being condemned because it's for you and for me. The innocence dying on the cross for the guilty. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? This was the hour of darkness. Jesus said, this is when the prince of the world, and that's the devil, is going to have free reign. Jesus is going to be un... On the cross, he's going to have all the forces of evil be unleashed against him. And yet, do you know what? This is God's hour as well. Even though the cross was the hour of the prince of darkness, and Satan thought he'd won, that he was going to do away with the Messiah, the moment Jesus cried, it is finished, the devil was finished. <laughs> It was God's hour, God's triumph. That's the paradox of the gospel. One of the most moving uh, descriptions in literature of this is uh, in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, where we have Edmund as the traitor. Edmund betrayed uh, Aslan and uh, the good side and went over to the witch to the enemy and such is the love of Aslan and C.S. Lewis when he was writing was using Aslan the lion as a picture of Jesus Christ the great son of God the innocent one and in order that Edmund might be saved the betrayer Aslan goes to the stone table and the wicked witch and all of her demonic hosts are allowed to unleash all their evil on Aslan. And she takes the knife and kills Aslan. And the other children, Peter and Susan and Lucy, they think, that's it. It's finished. Aslan is dead. And then the next morning... The stone table is broken and Aslan is risen. And he says, it means, said Aslan, that though the witch 
knew the deep magic. This is fantasy now, right? Deep magic in a fantastic sense. There is magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. That's what happened on the cross. Um, if you struggle with fantasy, uh, one of our hymnists has put it <laughs> like this. Did the holy and the just, that's Jesus Christ, the sovereign of the skies, the one who's in control of everything, stoop down to wretchedness and dust that guilty worms might rise? Yes! Oh, don't you find uh, the thrill of discovery in that word? Yes! The Redeemer left his throne, his radiant throne on high, and surprising mercy, love unknown to suffer, bleed, and die. And he took the dying traitor's place. Praise be to his name. He took the dying traitor's place and suffered in his stead for man, humanity that is, oh, miracle of grace, for man, the Saviour bled. Grace superabounding. Do you, do you feel a sinner, even if you profess to be a Christian, even if you're not guilty of gross outward sins? Maybe you are. But even if you've got those respectable sins in your hearts, don't you feel like saying, yes, because on that cross, Jesus died in my place. In my place, condemned, he stood. And this same Jesus Christ is offering his salvation to anybody here this morning. You know, you may be an Edmund. You may be somebody who feels that you've done in your heart what can't be forgiven. I want to say, yes, it can because it is Jesus Christ who has done all that is necessary on the cross. Oh, turn to him. Turn to him. It's not too late. Jesus, if he was giving Judas Iscariot an opportunity to repent and believe in him, he's going to give it to you, my friend. What condemned Judas in the end wasn't even his treachery. It was the fact that he was unrepentant. That was the worst thing I think Judas did because outwardly was there a difference between what Judas did and what Peter was to do a little later he denied three times ever knowing Jesus Christ that's a terrible thing isn't it and yet Peter wept bitterly he was repentant and he turned to Jesus Christ and asked for mercy and Jesus gave it to him oh what a saviour I'm scared by Judas. As Bunyan ended Pilgrim's Progress with ignorance going to hell from the gates of the celestial city. So Judas, from the gates, how did um, uh, Herbert put it? From the gates of life and bliss. If only he would have turned and acknowledged his guilt, heinous though it was, and accepted 
Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you know what? The road to hell is paved with good intentions, even if you're not guilty of treachery. Aren't we betraying God in our hearts if we think we're good enough? If we think we don't need Jesus Christ as Savior, other people do, but not us. My friend, the road to hell is paved with such intentions. Just be real. Just get rid of the veneer and come to Jesus Christ. And if you are his, why not come again? And I need to say this. Uh, before I say it, I've got somebody's testimony here. Uh, not recently, uh, from um, a few centuries ago. <laughs> Philip Henry, Matthew Henry's father, this is what he found. I hope this helps somebody. For as much as I have often, by experience, found the treachery and deceitfulness of my own heart, and being taught that it is my duty to engage my heart to approach God, and that one way of doing it is by subscribing with my hand unto the Lord, Therefore, let this paper be witness that I do deliberately, of choice, and unreservedly take God in Christ to be mine and give myself to him, to be his, to love him, to fear him, to serve and obey him, and renouncing all my sins with hearty sorrow and detestation, I do cast myself only upon free grace, through the merits of Christ for pardon and forgiveness and do propose God enabling me from this day forward more than ever to exercise myself unto godliness and to walk in all the ways of Christianity as ever I can with delight and cheerfulness as knowing that my labor shall not be in vain in the Lord. Isn't that brilliant? Knowing the deceitfulness of our hearts, make that choice. I'm going to choose life in Jesus Christ and trust him to save me and follow him for the rest of my days. That's what you can do. That's what I can do. And we can recommit ourselves. And then I need to say this. Has anybody here, not in the same way as Jesus maybe, but has anybody here suffered betrayal? It's a horrible thing, isn't it, to be betrayed? Even by those who are friends. What do you do? Don't do what Peter did. It's not mentioned in Mark, but Peter was the one who used the sword to lob the ear uh, off uh, the servants of uh, one of the priests. Peter was trying to defend uh, in the flesh. Uh, Peter was trying to vindicate himself. Don't try to do that. That's what we want to do when uh, we realize somebody's betrayed us. We want to try and defend ourselves. We want to try and vindicate our names. And in the process, a lot of ears get lobbed off, as it were. And churches sometimes full of ears that have been lobbed off in seeming acts of revenge. Listen, Jesus Christ is an expert at putting back lobbed off ears and healing. <laughs> His grace is such that it doesn't just forgive even the worst of sinners, but it can heal heal broken relationships. And the psalm I read, Psalm 55, where poor David uh, was suffering betrayal. Do you know how that psalm ends? Some beautiful words. Don't lob off people's ears, but cast your burden 
on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. Cast yourself on him for salvation and continue to cast all your cares upon him for his namesake.